1: Hey, welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who doesn't need to break a mirror to have seven years of bad looks. It's Dale.
2: No, I got a lot more than seven. <laughs> What's going on, bro? Hey, how are you, man? I'm <laughs> far right. That was pretty good.
1: Yeah, I always try to surprise Dale with some kind of... Oh,
2: yeah. I'm always coming in from the side, popping me in the head.
1: Yeah, he don't never know what I'm going to say about <laughs> him.
2: As I've been asked that several times, like, no,
1: I don't have a clue. No clue at all. <laughs> that's part of the, that's the way we roll, man. That's right. It's part of the
2: fun. It's that's it. Spontaneous. That's it. Kind of like that combustion stuff. Combustion? Yeah, you know combustion
1: yeah that's that stuff that explodes isn't it
2: yeah i see that on uh, ripley's believe it or not Combustion, jack palance or what was he even is that what he was on
1: i think so yeah <laughs> but
2: jack palance is always creepy as hell
1: but you know something you never hear of is spontaneous human combustion you don't ever hear that anymore no yeah, people like, just catching on fire i know i
2: always thought you know that was going to be happening along with uh, quicksand and <laughs> yeah all this shit stop drop and roll
1: kind of stuff times you ever had to do that yeah <laughs> I mean, you, you'd be standing there and somebody just busting the flames. You'd be like, oh Holy shit. shit.
2: <laughs> you know, you'd be trying to get your phone out so you could video it. <laughs> I get a fire sticker, it's the hell of that. How many times have you ever saw this? Let it burn.
1: Yeah. Slow down your burn. I got a video of this.
2: Hurry, my phone's about dead. That's it. <laughs>
1: You got any good shout outs, man? Oh,
2: man, yeah. I tell you what, we've had a a pretty good bit of likes and followers, you know, so I'd like to give a a couple of those folks a shout out just to get get us rolling this week. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Charlotte Hutchings Glaze, and uh, I'm sure I'm butchering all this, but, you know, that's how we are. Uh, Sheena Murray, Shelly Voros, and Donnie, I guess one's for you. You must have popped your ankle bracelet or something. It's uh, the Massachusetts Department of Probation is now following us.
1: <laughs> My ankle monitor is still attached.
2: <laughs> okay. It's checking under your sock. Yeah. Okay. And I also want to give a, a big shout-out to uh, Don Pickle, who uh, went up to the website this week and hit that gas button, uh, gas money button and uh, dropped some change in there. And We sure appreciate that. That is uh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And uh, one more, Donnie. Uh, our buddy... You know, from originally from Gastonia out here, down the road, living out in Texas now. Uh, Angie Williams, we uh, we got her in our thoughts and prayers this week. Uh, her house caught on fire uh, not long ago. It had something about uh, some faulty wiring within the house they were renting. So we're going to be thinking about her, her and uh, hope all you guys do the same.
1: Yep. Angie, we uh, got you in our thoughts and prayers. So hope you know. I hate that. That's that's do you know if they had a go- GoFundMe or anything like that? No
2: idea. I hmm. hadn't seen one yet. If they do, if yeah. they don't, maybe we need to start
1: one. Well, if we find one, we will post a link. Yeah, we will. Try to help you out, Angie. Yeah.
2: Hope you uh, I don't know, hope you're getting by all right. But there's a bad time to be homeless.
1: Yep. And if anybody wants to be like Don Pickle and go to the website and click on the gas money button.
2: That's right. You can be a hero too.
1: By all means go do it and help keep the lights on, help keep gas in the tank, and we'll give you a big old shout out. Yeah, because we sure, sure appreciate it. Yep. And if you want to go to Apple Podcast and click that five star. Leave a rate and review.
2: Any rate and reviews are very, very much appreciated. And I uh, just want to have a little side note. You know, we do have a YouTube channel. You know, and it's usually it's just the same shows. You know, no video or nothing yet. But uh, just I a cover to, photo on there. Yeah, yep. just a cover photo and some some cool graphics. You know, but uh someone say, you know, really appreciate all you guys too. We have uh, over 823 subscribers now with uh, 76,396 views as of this recording and wow. we think that's pretty damn good. Oh, that's
1: really good. And <laughs> so, I'm a, I'm an episode or two behind getting uploaded to YouTube. Yeah, but that's
2: that's that's all right. That's yeah, just the way it is. If you if you're only a YouTuber, you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: so but, uh, just, yeah
2: just so you know we really appreciate it and we don't uh, give us a whole lot of shout outs for those folks but uh, we do appreciate on any platform that you do or any way you
1: take in the show and i want to appreciate dale for doing the graphics for the youtube cover photos because he puts a lot of work into them and they're pretty awesome well thank you man he'll send them to me and ask me how i like it and i like it
2: <laughs> that's the way he likes it i like it <laughs>
1: All right Donnie, what are we doing this week? We better
2: get on the smoke be on our
1: ass. Yeah, heads. somebody be complaining about something.
2: <laughs> yeah. We have to start giving shout outs to the criers.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. We have got a serial killer this week, Dale. Yes. And he is his name is Chester Dwayne Turner. Dwayne. And And I'm sure a lot of you are going, Who? Who is Chester Dwayne Turner? Yeah. Well, he's a serial killer. And he has probably got a high number of kills.
2: Yes. His count is pretty high. Yeah, but you don't hear much about him. No, you mm-hmm. don't.
1: But you mentioned this the other week, so we're gonna we're gonna give him a shot and talk about him.
2: You know, he's kind of he was hunting about the same time. You know, I use that term loosely, hunting, but you know how it is. Well, you know, it's about the same time as uh, the Grim Sleeper and uh, what was the Skid Row Killer we did, Greenwood Vaughn
1: Greenwood, and,
2: and uh, also uh, Richard Richard Ramirez. Ramirez, and one or two other guys are all at the same time. So I guess. You know, Ramirez probably got the most the most press out of all those guys, but uh, Chester's got a higher count than Richard. Oh, yeah. He just wasn't as, well, I don't know. He's pretty damn vicious. Yeah. So we're going to do that today. We're
1: going to talk about him. Yes. Just a little bit of background on Chester Dwayne Turner. Dwayne. Dwayne. He was born on November the 5th, 1966 hmm. in Warren, Arkansas. This little back backwoods country, Arkansas. Yep. Farmland yeah. and stuff. And when he was five years old, he moved to Los Angeles with his mom. Right. I think he had a troubled life out there. Yeah, well, that
2: was probably a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah, because they went to they moved not just to L.A. to
1: South Central. Yes, LA. <laughs> they went from the the pot to the fire, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah, because they were living in straight out to Compton. <laughs> they lived in Arkansas, and it was pretty out in the country.
2: Yeah, he went from the country to the you know pretty wildlife.
1: Yeah, and this time in Los Angeles, I mean drugs and.
2: Everything is is back when the crack was running rampant and PCP and gangs. And so he moved right in the middle of that from little lazy Arkansas.
1: Yeah. And he um, attended public schools in Los Angeles, but dropped out of high school. Yeah. And he was working for Domino's Pizza as a cook and delivery guy.
2: Right. Well, you know, when he was younger, you know, he he would go home and stay, you know, with his mom. But he, had, he was like a latchkey kid. You know, he had to come home, let himself in, and his mom come home from work. But she would never let him go out and play or go do stuff. And she would keep the food locked up in the house. Yeah. So he had a pretty pretty rough childhood that way, you know. I mean, I guess she was trying to protect him from everything going on outside. But I don't know how much. So he didn't have much social skills, you know. And then and Wouldn't let him go to
1: the park or go anywhere.
2: Right, and play ball and stuff, whatever. So he started rebelling a little bit, you know. And then even at school— he was, uh, you know, he was starting. To, uh, I guess getting in trouble. He was getting in trouble, but I was looking for people who were kind of weaker than him. So he started picking and groping on girls. So then he he got the nickname of Chester Molester. So I'm sure that didn't that didn't yeah, help him much. and fondling girls in school. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, that's when he would just
1: drop out of school. Chester My hmm But yeah, when he dropped out of school at the age of seventeen, like Dale said, he got into a series of brushes with the law. Mm -hmm. And in one, there was a stabbing incident. And he knifed a childhood friend Right after he pulled a weapon on him. A weapon? A weapon? A weapon. Mm -hmm. And he claims that he was jumped by three thugs who sliced his right cheek. Yeah. And we'll post some pictures of this, and he has got a down the right side of his face I and mean, it starts on the top of his head and goes down the
2: yeah it said he said he was uh selling drugs on the corner yeah and three guys come up and jumped him yeah so whether it happened or not that's his story you know and then while he was in school he met the girl who lived across the street from him you know and you know he was she was more of a book bookworm type chick and uh, her name was felicia
1: felicia collier
2: yeah and uh they were you know pretty tight and uh, his mom would send her over there to try to do help him with uh, drugs, help him <laughs> with, his, with his grades. And she had, you know, helped him out. And then, you know, it, it worked for a little while, but then it didn't, uh, didn't pan out.
1: Yeah, they were – I think she lived with them, too,
2: like you said. and they. Uh, well, she – you know, she was in high school, and she was doing really well. But she had a boyfriend in high school, and she got pregnant. And when uh, she got pregnant, her mom threw her out of the house. Oh, man. So Chester – said that you can come over and live with me and my mom so he went and talked to his mom and she moved in with them Mm -hmm. and then even after uh she gave birth you know chester always chester really liked her but she liked him as a friend but not like he liked her so but even after she had the baby a little girl you know chester would help you know keeping the baby and taking care of the baby and help doing the hair and all that stuff and eventually she started falling for him because he was loving her her child so much yeah
1: yeah that'd make a big difference
2: You know, not long after, well, after a short period of time, uh, Felicia got her own place. Now, when she moved out, her and her daughter, uh, Chester didn't move in with her, but they were still seeing each other. And then uh, after a a short period of time, he eventually did move in, and that's when she started noticing, you know, a lot of weird changes about him. You know, he would come in really, really late, and he had the job at Pizza Hut at the time. So sometimes, you know, he could play at office. He was doing deliveries and this kind of thing. But then he would catch him and be in the bathroom watching porn for long periods of time and stuff like that and just being really erratic. And then sometimes he was good and sometimes he wasn't even once. They had went to a, um, a Christmas thing with at her aunt's and everything was really good. And on the way home, he just kind of snapped and said his, uh, everything just changed about him. And all of a sudden he said he was accusing her of uh, cheating and he just turned around and punched her in the face. And she wasn't cheating on him. And when she said something about it, he got all pissed off and said, I'll just drive this car right off the damn cliff. Mm-hmm. So they went home, and she just got the baby, and they went in the house. And, and then he told her he was sorry and it wouldn't ever happen again. So but she, she ended up staying with him. Give him another chance. Yeah. you know. And then it just stuff stuff like that was happening. And, then, and then, But see,
1: I think Felicia went through this with the, the baby daddy, too. Yeah. He, had, he accused her of running around on him. So uh, – Anyway, that kind of stuff
2: was going on, and then he was just getting weird. Where he'd be fine one minute, and then it's just like his whole emotional state would change. Mm-hmm. So we got that kind of mess going on. Yeah, you know, he had came in one night uh, really late, and she's like, "Where have you been?" And where he was covered and had you know scratches and all over him and stuff, and uh, he said he had been in a car wreck, and she didn't believe him, but she didn't push the pistol envelope because you know yeah he'd get violent about it but she's like well so she took care of him and then a, uh, a couple months later is when he came came home with that big scar he was talking about mm-hmm. where he'd been knifed and told her that he'd been jumped and she said you know we live in a rough neighborhood so you know it could be true mm-hmm. but you know we saw in an interview with him that that's what he was that's his story
1: yeah but he, he said at the time when he got that cut across his face uh, he actually thought he was just sweating.
2: Yeah. He said he had a what a white feeler jacket on or something, and he was running. And when he came back, he said he thought he was sweating and wondering why he was sweating so bad. And he put his hand up, and he was covered in blood, and his mm-hmm. jacket was covered in blood. But, man, I don't know how you you wouldn't know you were cut. That thing goes from well over the top of his ear all the way down to almost his mouth.
1: He had to be in a drilling rush, man, to, to be able to— Yeah. Not feel that.
2: Well, of course, you know, a razor blade, you're not, you know, it's so thin, you don't really know it to its way way too late.
1: Yeah, but it's a very prominent scar. Yeah, it
2: had to be deep. Yeah. We'll post some pictures of that. You know, way back when his mama had kicked him out of the house because she found out he was doing drugs, he was always hanging around either homeless shelters and missions or staying at girlfriends' places. And that's where, you know, he was staying with uh, Felicia there for a while. Yeah came home one night and she was getting ready to go out she was in there doing her hair and her makeup and he come in and he's like oh you look so good and she goes well thank you Chester I said yeah you look good and started trying to kiss her and stuff and trying to initiate some sex get it going on and she's like no 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 no. I just got ready and I got to go I'm, I'm running late and I got to go well he wasn't thinking no for an answer and he slammed the door and he said I heard he said that I forced her to the floor but on, in the little interview with her he looked like he just slammed her up against the sink so either way he raped her right there in the bathroom with her daughter outside the door listening to everything saying, saying leave my mom alone leave my mom alone so when he got done he just just got up and grabbed the door and opened the door and went out she got up and got herself together went running in and grabbed her gun out of the bedroom that he didn't know she had and uh, he went out the front door and she came out behind him and pulled a gun up behind him and the neighbor hollered and said no don't, don't shoot him he got the baby and, uh, so she put the gun down turned around he had the baby in his hands, but she wouldn't give it to him. So that lady who would holler about the baby had her, her cordless phone in her hand and give it to her. So she called the cops and they came and got the baby Damn. back and then took him to jail. So after that, that was the last straw, which I know with the... The relationship was a lot longer than that than we sound, but that was the last straw. She told him, you know, after that she didn't want to see him no more, and definitely wasn't welcome him in her house, and definitely wasn't working and welcoming her bed. Exactly. So, you know, he probably didn't take that too well.
1: All right, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Chester Turner's crimes. Yeah. Okay. And Dale, he was convicted of eleven murders that occurred in Los Angeles, and this was between 1987 and 1998. Hmm. And the first of these murders took place in a four-block-wide corridor, and it ran on either side of Figueroa Street between Gage Avenue and 108th Street. Right. And this was uh, downtown Los Angeles.
2: Hmm. The What was it called? The Figueroa Corridor. Yes. Yes.
1: And the first victim, her name was Diane Johnson. She was 21, and she was found partially nude, strangled, in March of 1987 in a roadway construction area. West of Harbor Freeway.
2: Yeah, one thing about him, he didn't really try to hide anybody, did he? No, he just left them. Left them wherever they were and pretty much for somebody to find. Yep. And a lot of these girls were either uh, addicted to coke or crack or whatever. Prostitutes. Or or sex workers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or sex workers or both. Now, I don't know if all of them are, and I'm not trying to shame anybody's name or anything, but a lot of them definitely were.
1: Yeah. His second victim was Annette Ernest, and she was 26, and she was a daughter of Mildred White, who was friends with Jerry Johnson Triplett, mother of Turner's fifth victim, Angela Triplett. Yeah. It and, does, um, and she was found lying on the shoulder of a road in October of 87, partially nude and strangled. Yeah,
2: so that's pretty much his M.O., Yeah, rape, strangle.
1: Yep. His third victim was Anita Fishman Breyer. And she was 31. She was strangled and left partially nude outside a garage in an alley off Figueroa Street. And this was in January of 1989. And so this is two years later. Yeah. And Anita's nephew described her as un- upbeat, happy, and her sister Suzanne was trying to help her through the struggle with addiction. Right. So and there's. A- there you go. Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. you think. Uh- he didn't do anything from October 87 to January of 89. I think he done something. Yeah. And so his list is probably a lot longer than what what they know. These
1: are ones that was linked to him through DNA. Right. Yeah. And they probably, you know, if he did do anything, he probably didn't leave any DNA behind. Or they never found them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, his next victim was Regina Nadine Washington, and she was 27. She was also found partially nude, strangled. Inside a garage off Figueroa Street, and this was in September of 1989, and she was six months pregnant, mm. and the death of the baby, referred to as Baby Washington, was attributed to the strangulation of the mother, and it was ruled a homicide.
2: Now, is this the one he left? He had hanging up in the garage Yeah. By ligature? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sad. So he's got a little more... A little more vicious here. Yeah.
1: His next victim was Angela Triplett that we mentioned earlier. Right. And she was 29, strangled, and again found partially nude behind a vacant building on Fergura Street. And this was in April of 1993.
2: So wait a minute. There's a bigger gap here. It is. That's almost four years.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think he, he was just cold mm-hmm. during that time. Right. Uh, but she was five and, a half, five and a half months pregnant at the time and california law did not consider the fetus viable yeah at that time yeah so he wasn't charged with that murder yeah crazy Mm -hmm. now his uh, next victim was desiree lma jones
2: now wait a minute desiree lma jones
1: yeah that's a pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) but she was 29 found strangled in a backyard in may of 93 and she had a brother, Frank, that described her as smart, outgoing, and funny and stated that before succumbing to her addiction, she worked at a rest home for the elderly. Mm. That's sad. Yeah. that. Yeah.
2: This addiction is killing
1: all these people. It is. And that's, that's what he was preying on. Yeah. Make it easy. His uh, next victim was Natalie Price, and she was 31, found partially nude and strangled next to a vacant residence in February of 95. That's another two-year gap. hmm like, so, yeah, I don't think he was cold during all this time. I, right. In no way.
2: You know, and, it, and partially during these times, he was working as a security guard. Yeah. At one of the shelters. Yeah. Imagine that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so
2: he's hiding in plain sight. He's right there the whole time.
1: Yeah. Now, his next victim was Mildred Williams Beasley. She was 45, and she was found partially nude, strangled, and she was left amongst the bushes alongside the 110 freeway in November of 96. Right. She was married and had a teenage son. Now, his last two murders, they occurred outside of the corridor in Los Angeles, Countydale. And the first one was Paula Vance. She was 24, and she was found in the business Olympia Tool in Azusa. And this was in February of
2: 1998.
1: Hmm, two years. Yeah, and she suffered from mental illness she and was, was tr- transient. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Vance's murder was uh, witnessed by a bystander in a, in the neighboring trailer park.
2: Mm. Yeah, this one is actually I think was caught on a surveillance tape too, right? Yes. Yeah, so they actually had uh, surveillance of the actual crime. But even though the it's grainy and you couldn't really tell uh, get an ID of it, but the whole thing was caught, which is pretty bad.
1: Is she the one that had the footmark in her back?
2: I don't know. Uh, we, I was telling Donnie earlier that uh, I was listening to a thing with the the um, the DA or the prosecutor or whatever, and said that uh, talking about how vicious he was, that one of these girls and she didn't recall the name actually had a footmark in her back for where he would had the ligature around her neck and had her face down on the ground with his foot on her, pulling back and to try to strangle her with such force that it left footmark footprints in her back.
1: Yeah. Damn. Now his next victim, her name was
2: Brenda Breeze. Yeah, man, he just invited her into the Port-A-John.
1: Yeah, Str- found strangled in a Port-A-John. Yeah, he left her there. Yeah, this was uh, near Little Tokyo in April of ninety eight, and she was found just fifty yards away from the hotel where really? Chester was staying. Crazy. Now, Dale uh, Chester was jailed seven times from nineteen ninety five to two thousand two for six non violent offenses. Right once. Uh, for an assault charge on an officer and cruelty to an animal
2: yeah now i was wondering about that so i watched uh, an interview with him today and uh he said to deal with that he had a hotel room he had written him and his girl were in there and, and they got into it so she left well she left she went and told the cops that you know they had gotten into it or whatever and act like it was her room even though he had paid for it he said so he had heard the somebody beating on the door and he went to the door and looked out and didn't see anybody but he opened the door, and there's a bunch of cops out there with guns drawn on him, and uh, they took him down. And even though it was his room, took him down. And as, as they were going out the front door of the hotel, he tripped over the, the uh, where they had the potted plants out front, and he fell. And they jerked him up and hit him in the head with a baton, and he took off running. So he took off running and jumped the fence and went. And he was hiding under an old gate under in a, this uh, pile of rubble in a abandoned building. So they come out there, and then they uh, let the dog out, and said somebody told where he was, and the dog come and got him and grabbed him by the arm and stuff, and I don't know if he swatted at the dog or whatever, but he said that was the they got him for that, because <laughs> they well, he come out there and said they didn't find no gun in the room or nothing, he said, because he didn't have no guns. So apparently that girl had went out and told him that he had a gun and he was on parole and all this stuff. And he really didn't have nothing, so they charged him with cruelty and animals, even though the dog was the one that bit him. Mm -hmm. So that's what he said, anyway. Yeah. That's his story. Yep. And the guy had hit him already, so then they handcuffed him up and took him on him. Yep.
1: Now, in March of 2002, Chester sexually assaulted a 47-year-old woman for approximately two hours and threatened to kill her if she told the police.
2: Yeah, that's the one that was uh, selling cigarettes. Yes, yeah, her name was Maria Martinez, and uh, she was she was known to be to sell cigarettes to get by, sell Lucy's, you know, one at a time or whatever. Anyway, this one he was working as a guard, and uh, so he was just standing outside, leaning up against the pole, called her over to get a, asked her if she could have a light, and as soon as she got close enough, he grabbed her by her throat and drugged her behind a dumpster. Dang. So she trusted him because he was the guard and was always there. Yeah. So and that ended up getting her killed, but man, two hours. Yeah. I hate to think what he did to that girl, and then he didn't kill her. He let her go. Mm-hmm. He told her that, you know he threatened to kill her. He knew if you ever tell the cops, I will hunt you down and I will kill you. Yeah. So he let her go, and she went to the cops, but they didn't believe her. Went to the little substation there in uh, South Central, and told her that she wanted, uh, you know, to file a report. And they basically told her to just sit down and wait. And so she stood there forever and then come back. They didn't believe her. She said, they, uh, she said that the way she felt, they thought that him and her were partying and stuff got out of hand. So she just left. And she wasn't going to say anything about it. And then the next day, one of the administrators at the at the homeless shelter or the shelter where she was staying, she told her the story. And she believed her and said, you got to go report it. She goes, I don't want to go. They don't believe me. She said, no, you have to. So... She finally talked her into going back and reporting it. They made a report, and then they went and arrested Turner and that and got his DNA. Yeah. Because that's, they had, you know, they can do that whatever when they arrest mm-hmm. you. But basically, letting her go is what got him. Yep. And then, you know, if she wouldn't have talked her into going
1: back, he he wouldn't have ever been caught. But he was uh, convicted and sentenced to eight years in California state prison.
2: Yeah, for that rape.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like Bill said, he was required to give a DNA sample to CODIS. Right. And in September of two thousand three, based on that sample, Chester was identified as a match for DNA recovered from the Vance and Breeze case.
2: okay yeah, you know when they put that sucker in the in the codas, that started ding like some Oh, of those, you know what? You it had did. your phone off for two oh, weeks. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. All the hits is getting up.
1: And detectives be, they began a careful examination of Chester's background, and nine of the eleven unsolved murders were matched to Chester. Using right. DNA evidence. Crazy. Yeah, they yeah, like they said, it lit up. hmm Now on uh, June the nineteenth of two thousand fourteen, this is really not that long ago, Chester was convicted of four additional murders. And four victims were identified as Cynthia Annette Johnson, she was thirty, Elandra Joyce Bunn, who was thirty three, Mary Edwards, she was forty two, and Deborah Williams, who was twenty eight. And now the authorities said that DNA linked Chester to the killings, and he received another death sentence for those murders on June twenty sixth, 2014. Right. He's got, uh, but there's no telling how many more he's he's, he's done. Right. No way. Yep. But the California Supreme Court heard an automatic appeal on September the 2nd, 2020. And on November the 30th of 2020, the California Supreme Court reversed Turner's murder conviction for the unborn baby.
2: And the lady was
1: hung. Yeah. Yeah. And the death sentence for the other 14 victims was upheld. So, yeah, they they took one off. Yeah, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, he's still, he's never getting out.
2: No, I wouldn't think so.
1: But now just a little bit of wrongful conviction during all this time. Yeah,
2: man, they really railroaded this guy.
1: Yeah. Now, during the investigation of all these cases, the the detectives, they also reviewed similar solved cases. And in doing this, the detectives found that David Allen Jones, who was 28, had been convicted of three murders.
2: Yeah, because uh, you know several of the bodies, when he killed them, he was leaving them around the elementary school. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was with he would I don't know, which is kind of sick if you ask me. Anyway, he would just leave them there for the kids to find. You know, Chester was doing this. Yeah, and then so they had this guy David Allen Jones who worked at the elementary school.
1: He was like a a mentally disabled part time janitor.
2: Yeah, it said he was just barely illiterate, basically had the the mind of a child and basically, you know. So they uh they questioned him several days without an attorney, you know, and he admitted to using drugs and hanging out with some of the victims and or he knew them anyway. So I think basically they talked him into
1: doing a confession. Yeah, railroaded yeah. him, you know. Rather than using these convictions on the basis of excluding Chester, the detectives revisited the saw murders and reevaluated the physical evidence. Right. And the detectives found that uh, David Allen Jones, in a 1995 trial, had relied upon other evidence, including Jones being coerced into statements yeah. to police. They
2: didn't have no DNA on him because he wasn't there. Yeah, he didn't do it.
1: Yeah, they, they um, railroaded that boy. Now, during this trial, Jones had been convicted of a rape unrelated to the murders, and he served out his sentence for the t- the 2,000 rape conviction. And the new investigation revealed that the blood typing evidence did not match blood types found at the crimes.
2: So how in the hell did they, besides the coerced uh, confession, they didn't have nothing on this no, guy. Did they, they didn't. So I wonder how they got the conviction anyway. I guess just because he said he did it.
1: I guess so. Hmm. He was coerced into it because you know from the mental handicap and yeah, yeah, child so like, childlike mind. Is that like kind of like making a murder? Kind of like, yeah. Sort of kind of. Sort of, kind of. And he spent 11 years in prison, and he was exonerated for the murder. Mm -hmm. And Jones was released in prison in March of 2004, and uh, a lawsuit was filed against the city of Los Angeles. And Jones was awarded $720,000 in compensation. That's
2: a a lot of money, but damn. It's it's not
1: enough. For 10 years of your life, for something you didn't do. And they know you didn't do it. -uh. He should have got more money for that. Yeah, I think so, too. A million for every year. But Chester Dwayne Turner is in prison at San Quentin, and he's never getting out.
2: Yeah, he's still there today. Yeah, he is. San Quentin. Yep. But, uh, you yeah, know, we know there's not a whole lot of details in that stuff, but, man, he was a vicious guy.
1: Yeah, with with probably more killings than Ted Bundy or some of these other ones.
2: Yeah. Definitely more than Ramirez.
1: Yeah. yeah. But these were all black female Victims,
2: yeah, he was black as well, and I think uh, David Allen Jones was as well, mm-hmm. so it's just crazy, yeah. But uh, those poor women, you know, when you get down and out, and they were all living in either homeless or transients, or they were living in those uh, the little uh, mission places, yeah, he was just picking them off because he didn't kill really outside, except for those two outside of uh, that little area, yeah, I know. You know, and then one, and I'm not sure which one it was. One of them, he had killed, and her mama had a, you know, like a memorial thing at at her house, and we had a cookout and stuff, and Chester went to it, went in, got him a plate and everything. He was Mm -hmm. just right there with him. And I was thinking, now, didn't uh, the Gaffney Strangler do it as well? Yeah. The one they went, and he went to like a little funeral at at, the home of the woman. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. When she is episode 50. You go back and check that. Yeah, go if you check want. it out. Captain Strangler. That's
1: a good mind. Remember that
2: episode. Just down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're coming up on a hundred, ain't we? Yeah, we are. We
1: are. We good. And yeah, we got something cool for the hundredth episode lined up. Yeah, be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dale. That is uh, Chester Dwayne Turner. Chester Dwayne. Yep. But he's not getting out. No. All right, bud. We are going to get out of here. Let's roll, brother. We want everyone to be safe. Be careful and always be aware of your surroundings.
2: Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack, Crack House Chronicles.
0: Say goodbye.